know, as we think about those Netflix movies, though, excuse me, as we think about those Hallmark movies, how many of you guys watched those Hallmark movies? Okay, I'm, I'm more into the Christmas classic movies, you know, like, like Home Alone and Elf and Die Hard. Like, I like the classic movies. It's a Christmas movie. But I saw on Netflix, there's a movie called uh, A Princess for Christmas. Have you guys seen, seen that one? I haven't. I haven't. A Princess for Christmas. What I find fascinating is how fascinated us Americans are with British royalty. Right? Like, like it is, it's a thing. Like, how many of you have watched any of the royal weddings? How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many, let's be honest, how many of you watched the, the Queen's funeral? How many of you have taken December, or May 6th off as a, as a vacation day so you can watch the new king's coronation? Right? It is interesting how fascinated we are with British royalty. Now, I'll be honest, I have some fascination with it as well. Not because of the family, but I enjoy the history. I think history is fascinating, and I love reading about the history of, of British royalty. In fact, there's a story I read about this week that I wanted to share. Uh, queen Mary, Queen Mary, not the ship. This is the queen. Uh, she was queen in the early 1900s. And uh, one of the things that she would do is she would have a yearly visit to Scotland. And when she would go to Scotland, she would go uh, and meet people without like her uh, uh, British guards, right? Without the protective services. So she'd just walk amongst the people and meet people. And on this one day, she's out with some kids and they're going for a walk and they're walking and they happen to go a little bit further than she thought she was going to go. And they're out taking this walk longer than she thought. And a sudden rainstorm came. And it's dumping just cats and dogs, more cats and dogs, but just dumping all over her. And she's like, I got to do something about this. I can't handle this. So she, got, she goes to the nearest house and knocks on the door. And she's like, hey, I'm out walking. I got to go back. Could I borrow an umbrella? And I promise you I'll return the umbrella. Well, the lady who answers the door is like, well, I don't know who this lady is. You know, I'm not on Facebook. I don't know who she is. And so she's like, well, she goes in her house, and she's like, I've got two umbrellas. I've got the nice one, the good one, and I've got this one that I'm going to throw away, you know, that has the fabric is torn and the spines are broken. And she's like, well, I don't want to give my good one away because what if I don't get it back? So she takes the broken umbrella, gives it to the queen, and the queen says, thanks, goes on her way. Well, the next day, a man knocks on her door, and it's a member of the royal guard. And he says, hey, the queen thanks you for letting her borrow your umbrella. And she's like, oh, no. I didn't realize that was the, the queen. If I realized it was a queen, I would have given her the, I would have given her the good one. I would, have, I would have sacrificed whatever I could for the queen. Now, let's just put ourselves in that story. In our own life, there are people who love us. There are people who care for us. There are people who are good to us. Our spouse, our family, our, 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 maybe our employer, some friends. How often do we give what's convenient? How often do we give something that's not going to cost us very much? We give them the broken the umbrella because, well, I can't let all the good stuff go. How often do we give what is easy and convenient rather than what is sacrificial to those people around us who are good to us, who are deserving of something. Let me rephrase this idea for you. A couple weeks ago, I turned 40 years old. That's right, I've made it. 
And as I was approaching this birthday, I thought, I want to spend some time journaling. Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, I don't know, like, if God gives me 80 years, oh, I'd be grateful for 80 years. If God gives me 80 years, I am halfway done at this point. I'm halfway done. So I started journaling and reflecting, hey, what have I learned in the first 40 years that would impact how I want to live my next 40 years, right? Like, like what, have, what have I experienced in these 40 years that I want to impact the next 40 if that's what I have? And so I wrote things down like this. I wrote friends. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I, I get, it seems like the harder friends can be. Like, I don't know if it's just because I, I get weird. I don't know. But as I look back to those first 40 years, like, friendships were so significant and important. And so I want to get past the awkward and invest in some deep friendships over the next 40 years. I, I put down this. Uh, I put, mentors have been such a huge part of my life. People that have poured into me, that have shaped me to be who I am today. And man, if I've got another 40 years, man, I want to give myself away and mentor some other people, disciple them, and pour into them just as people have poured into me. You know, the other thing I noticed, as I was, re as I was reflecting over these past 40 years, so much goodness in my life involved my wife. Now, if you know Samantha, you know she's amazing. You're like, Kevin, I don't know how you married her. You married, yes, I'm married out of my league 100%. I know that. So much goodness in my life has come because of her love, because of her constant belief and encouragement to me, because of the grace and forgiveness she gives when I'm an idiot, which is a regular thing. And as I'm, I'm thinking about my wife, I'm just overwhelmed with, with gratitude. Like how great I, how lucky I am to be married to her. And then I also have these feelings of incredibly convicted and, and embarrassed and guilty. Because here's why. Like we've been married for 20 years. Our marriage, man, we're doing pretty good. We're, our marriage is good right now. It's good. And it's so easy. I don't know if any of you get this. It's so easy almost to just presume upon our relationship. You know, we've been married all this time. She knows I love her. We've been married all this time. She knows I'm committed to her. But I don't show it the ways I used to show it. I don't pursue her heart like I used to do. Why? Because, well, we've been married for all this time. She knows I'm not going anywhere. She's stuck with me. She's got, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam, but I'm, I'm, I'm stuck to you. Like Velcro, Right? And I thought about, you know, these next 40 years. In light of all she's been to me, I don't want to just presume upon this relationship. I don't want to assume that she knows how I feel about her. I want to continue to pursue her heart every day. I want her to know every day how grateful I am for her. So you know what I did? This is corny. But I was like, when we dated, we started dating in high school. And we were, you know, some of you don't remember these days. It's a long time ago, but... Like, like, when we were in high school, we didn't have cell phones. There was no text messages. So we actually had to write letters to each other. And then you fold them in the origami thing, and you make little envelopes out of them. And so I wrote her a love letter, and I folded it with a little thing. And I'm like, hey, this is my first way to say I want to pursue your heart. I want to go back to the way things used to be where I'm not assuming on our relationship, but I'm actually pursuing your heart. Let's think about it this way. In our faith. In your relationship with God, 
how often do we just presume upon our relationship with him? Because we're like, God, you know I love you, but I, I, I'm busy with life. I've got my family. I've got my career. I've got my life and all the stuff happening. God knows I love him, right? And so we go through life oftentimes without thinking about, okay, how am I showing my gratitude to the Lord? How am I showing him that I love him and that I'm thankful for all that he has done for me? You know, we've been in this series, The Story. Uh, this is week number 28. The good news is you only have to put up with it for two more weeks. Two more weeks, and then we're done with this series. I tell you, it has been such a good series to kind of look at the entire Bible and see how it's actually one big story, all pointing us to Jesus and what he's done on the cross and how we respond to it. We saw the climax of the Bible is all about Jesus going to the cross, dying in our place, and rising from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, this is the New Testament, he entrusted his mission to make disciples of all. He entrusted it to us, the church, Christians. He gave us this mission and said, here's how you're going to accomplish it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to live for me. Right? That's where we've been. And last week, we kind of started with this idea that if, 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 if we get the gospel, if we really understand what Jesus did for us, going to the cross and dying in our place, then the Apostle Paul said, if you get that, then the response is there should be a, a desire to promote the unity within the church. That we are, we are saved individually, but we're saved into the family of God, the people of God. And there should be this mutual concern for one another and priority that we maintain the unity with other believers. Today, we're going to have a kind of continuation of that idea. That if we get the gospel, if we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, there should be a, a logical response. And this one is not relating to the, to the church or to the body, but actually into our worship. That if we actually understand what Jesus has done for us, then our worship will result in us giving ourselves fully, uh, of surrendering every part of ourselves to God because he is worthy. Because he is kind of like that Queen Mary, where he's not just worthy of our discarded umbrella. No, he's worthy of the best that we have to offer. And if we recognize all that he's done for us, we're not going to presume upon our relationship with him. We're going to look for ways for us to continue to show him, man, you are worth it. And I will give everything to pursue you. So the text that Pastor Jake read for us this morning, this morning Romans chapter 12. And it starts out in verse 1, as he, and the Apostle Paul writes and says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You see that word, therefore. Again, this word, therefore, is a hinge in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul has spent 11 chapters detailing the mercy of God. He's saying, look, 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 you guys are all sinners. All of us are sinners. We're sinful by our nature. That's who we are. But God, because of his love for us, while we were still, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to the cross in our place. He spent 11 chapters so we would understand what Jesus has done for us, that there's no way for us to be made right with God except for what Jesus did on the cross. He spent 11 chapters detailing that. And now here in verse 1 of chapter 12, he's saying, therefore, he's saying, listen, if you get that, here's what you need to do. He said, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God 
Now, this idea of sacrifice is in context of the, the you've got to picture the Old Testament background, right? Like, when we hear the word sacrifice in our culture, we don't really have a, a context for it because none of us are really offering animals to God, right? We're not killing animals and saying, look, God, I did this for you, unless it's cats. We might do that. But we're not taking animals and killing them and saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Here's an animal to, to make it right. But in the Old Testament, if you're going to please God, if you wanted to gain something, if you wanted to gain forgiveness or you wanted to gain the blessing of God, that is what you would do. You would take an animal and you would kill it and then you'd place it on the altar as an offering to God. That is a way that you would show God, hey, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want your forgiveness. I need something. Now, Paul says because of the mercies of God, and again, this is what, based on what he just said, that Jesus became our sacrifice. Jesus died for our sin. He was placed on the altar in our place so that we no longer have to offer these animals to God. We don't have to sacrifice animals. Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice in our place. And Paul's saying, listen, because of that, because of that, we don't offer those animals. What do we offer? We offer ourselves, that we become this living sacrifice. And that means that we give ourselves and every part of us dedicated to God. This is our time. This is our talents. This is our treasures. All of it is dedicated to him. That we take our eyes and what we see, we dedicate that to the Lord. We take our mouths and the way that we speak, dedicate that to the Lord. We take our hands and what we do, that's dedicated to the Lord. We take our mind, the way that we think, the way that we plan. And it's not dedicated to ourselves to, to make our life great. No, our minds are supposed to be dedicated fully to the things of God. This is why he says this is a living sacrifice, that we have lives that are set apart to be holy and acceptable to God. And I, and I love this because Paul describes it as a living sacrifice. You know the difficult thing about a living sacrifice? Like, like if it was just offering a dead animal, that's a little easier, right? Because I, I kill the animal and I put it on the altar and the animal's not going anywhere. It's going to stay there. But when you put a living sacrifice on that altar, what does it want to do? It wants to get back up, right? It's like, no, I don't want to be on this altar. Like, like, I don't know about you, but there's times when I'm like, God, I'm dedicating every part of me to you. God, I, I'm dedicating this to you. And then what happens is I get distracted, and, and something flies by, and I'm like, oh, that looks good. And I get up off that altar, and I'm pursuing something else because it's a living sacrifice. Is a living sacrifice? No, this is a repeated process. It's not a, a one-time-fits-all a living sacrifice means we have to continue to place ourselves on that altar. We have to continue to sacrifice our hearts, our minds, our hands, our eyes, all those things to the Lord because we want to keep getting back up off. Is that just me? Or do you all feel that? I mean, I think that's something we all would, would grasp. And this is what he says. When you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and he says, this is your spiritual worship. Worship is one of those things that we often minimize to just what we do at church. Worship is when we sing some songs and we raise our hands. Worship is when we, we pray. Worship is when we sit and we listen to a pastor tell some funny jokes and teach us about the Bible. Listen, worship is so much more than that. 
Worship is how you show something or how you show someone that they are worthy of our love and devotion. Do you know what that, that is what worship is? Worship is how we show someone that he is worthy of our total love and devotion. The question is, what does Paul mean when he says this is your spiritual worship? And again, this is where sometimes languages and translations are, are, are funny. Because this word uh, spiritual, uh, actually, this is where we, if you were to translate it, this is where we get the word logical. Our word logical comes from the same word that is translated as spiritual. And so the idea is, is if is, is we're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, and what Paul is saying, that is your logical response. That is the common sense response to what Jesus has done. The common sense response is that you would give yourselves fully over to God. It's logical. It is the expected, the anticipated response to what God has done for you. Imagine this, okay? Let me, let, let me, let me paint this into a, a little bit of a story for you to grasp, right? Imagine, imagine you're coming home from lunch today. I don't know where you're going to go for lunch today. You're going to go somewhere good, all right? You go home from lunch, and there's a friend of yours on the front porch. Your friend is like, hey, man, I've been waiting for you. And, you know, while I was waiting for you, you know, someone came and said you owed them some money, and so, man, I took care of it for you, right? Now, how do you respond to that friend? Well, it depends on how much they paid, right? Right? If your friend is there, and he's like, hey, you know, uh, the mailman came and said, you forgot to put a stamp on this envelope, but I took care of it for you. You're going to be like, cool, bro. Yeah, I, thanks, man. That, that's high five, fist bump. Yeah, you got me. That's 55 cents. Good, good job, right? Now, it's a completely different story if your friend is there and he's like, hey, while you were gone, you know, um, um, <laughs> uh, while, while you were gone, John Gotti came from the Gambino tri- crime family. And John Gotti said, Kevin, you owe them $10 million from a gambling debt, and they came to kill you. But don't worry about it, Kevin. I paid, I, I, I paid them off. I got you back. I, I took care of it for you. Like, what would the response be to that? If that was the case, man, I'd have to get down on my knees and be like, bro, man, like, I owe you, I owe you my life. You saved my life. I owe you everything. This is what Paul is saying, what Jesus has done for you. It's not like he just paid the postage stamp for you. No, he gave you your life back. He saved your life. And Paul is saying, listen, the logical response to someone who has saved your life is not to throw a few coins in an offering and not to say, I'm going to come once a week and give you an hour where I sing some songs to you. The logical response to someone who has saved your life is to get down on your knees and say, I'm all yours. Like, what do you want from me? You saved my life. And this is where I think sometimes in church, sometimes I think we get this wrong. We think our worship is where we come and sing some songs and, 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 and praise the Lord. And then we go back to lunch. And then after lunch, we just go back to our normal lives, pursuing whatever it is we're pursuing. Our goals, our own plans, our vision for what we want in the future. No, Paul is saying the logical response to the one who saved us from Satan and sin and death and hell the logical response to the one who's healing the broken parts of your life. The logical response who can fix what's gone wrong in your heart, who can make you whole, who can make you new, is to dedicate everything to him. Your time, your treasure, your talents, your mouth, your money, your job, your sex life, all of you 
when you, when you understand what he's done for you, the logical response is to say, God, I'm giving it to you. What do you want from me? I'm yours. Now, let's just build some tension in here. Because, like, I get that. And, and, and again, for me, like, I, I, want, I want that. I want to dedicate my whole self to God. God, I, I, yeah, I get it. You died for me? Like, yes, I want to be 100% in. Problem is, again, it's a living sacrifice. So I'm like, God, I want to follow you. But then what happens is I get distracted. And I start pursuing all those other things. I keep getting off the altar. So how do we actually live fully surrendered as a living sacrifice to God? And Paul gives us the answer. Verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. To be conformed means don't be molded or, or shaped. Don't be motivated by the patterns and the things of this world. He's talking about the values and the beliefs and the morals of our culture around us. Again, what is... What does the world tell us? What are the values and morals and, and uh, beliefs of the culture? Well, they tell us that our success, our worth, our value, it comes from all sorts of things. It comes from uh, how successful we are in our career. That gives us value. That makes us worth something. It comes from how much money we have. It comes from the type of power and influence we have. It comes from our relationships. It comes from all the, it comes from how much education we have. Again, this is what we do. We take our education, like, look, look how good I am. This shows I'm worth something. This shows I'm good. And we think, if I can just get enough of this stuff, power, prestige, money, Facebook likes, if we can get enough of this stuff, then that shows I'm okay. That shows I'm worth it. Our world tells us, hey, just be true to yourself. No, no, you do whatever you need to do because you deserve to be happy. It says follow your heart. You can do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt anybody else, it's okay. This is what the culture tells us and feeds us. And what happens, again, maybe this isn't for you, but this is for me. And as I'm trying to put myself as a living sacrifice on the altar, I look around and I hear what's happening in the world, and those things begin to slowly creep into my mind. They creep in, begin to change my focus, where I start pursuing those things and prioritizing the values of the world. This is why Paul says, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world. Then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying we can't just decide, hey, I'm just going to sacrifice myself. It's not just as simple as making a simple decision. No, Paul says we actually have to be transformed. We have to be made new. Something has to happen inside of us. This word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis, which means that if we're going to uh, be a living sacrifice, we actually have to be changed to our core of who we are. Think about it. Think about the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? That caterpillar, it can't just decide one day, I want to be a butterfly. And so it takes some wings and screws some wings on its back, and it's like, I'll just need to flap my arms really fast, and then I can be a butterfly. No, that doesn't work. No, that caterpillar has to go through a, 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 an, an organic, has to experience an organic. The caterpillar has to experience an organic change. This is where it goes into its cocoon, and it releases this uh, enzyme, 
that, that essentially turns its body into soup. Turns its body into soup, and then those cells inside begin to restructure. And it grows wings, it grows eyes, it grows some antenna, it grows those beautiful colors. And that is how it transforms from the inside out from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Listen, Paul is saying the same thing has to happen to us. That if we're going to be a living sacrifice, it's not just because we decide, hey, I'm going to screw some wings on my back and now I'm going to be a sacrifice. No, we actually have to have this inward change within inside of us. Which is why so many of us live our Christian life and we're like, man, I'm trying to follow you, God. I'm trying to be a sacrifice, but I just keep getting up off the altar. Because we're trying to screw wings on our back. Instead of saying, how do I be transformed from the inside out? We actually need a, a new heart. We need to be a new creation. And how do we do that? How do we experience that transformation? How do we become, how do we go from that caterpillar into a butterfly? Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to allow our mind to be renewed. You know, thinking about context, what does it mean to renew our mind? Well, Paul just spent 11 chapters talking about the gospel. He spent 11 chapters. That's a long time, folks. He spent 11 chapters saying, hey, this is what Jesus has done for you. He died for you. He died to make you new. He died to fix what's gone wrong in your heart and in your life. Now, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew our mind by thinking back on those same 11 chapters. Our mind is renewed as we, as we uh, go again and again to the beauties of the gospel. This is why Paul says our minds have to be renewed. I think Paul gets, hey, most of us, if we're a Christian, we understand the gospel. Yeah, Jesus died for me in my place. Yes, I get it. Like, that's the beginning of the Christian faith. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The gospel's not the beginning of the Christian faith. The gospel is all of the Christian faith. The gospel is, is how you become a Christian. The gospel is how you grow as a Christian. The gospel is, is how you mature as a Christian. It's all related to the gospel. That we have to continue to have our minds renewed again and again to the beauty of the gospel. Picture it like this. I don't know if you've ever uh, done anything with a well. With, with a well. Okay, when you have a well and you want the best water, you don't try and, and, and make the well wider. Because oftentimes when you try and make the well wider, it's going to crash in on itself. No, if you want the good water, you have to continue to dig deeper and deeper. And that's where the best water is found. And this is true with the gospel, that if we want to experience that transformation... It's because we're digging deeper and deeper into the reality of what Jesus has done for us, that we were meditating and reflecting on the love of God displayed to us through the cross. And that's what produces a love of God in us and through us. This is why, man, I remember several years ago, we had a, a friend of ours who, who kept coming to church, and he's like, Kevin, Kevin, you keep talking about the gospel. I'm already a Christian, Kevin. Like, can't we get to the deeper things of the faith? And I'm like, listen, the gospel is all we've got. This is what grows us. This is what produces that transformation inside of us. That we understand deeper and deeper and deeper what Jesus has done for us. In fact, here's our summary of this entire passage. That a, a fully surrendered life is the expected response when we've experienced the mercies of God. 
a fully surrendered life is the expected response when we've experienced the grace of God. I think Paul is trying to emphasize this very clearly because some of us, we're not fully surrendered. Some of us are like, yeah, I get what Jesus has done for me, but I'm not giving all of myself. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to this, and, and, and I'll just come to church for an hour, and I'll raise my hand and say, that's my worship. And Paul's like, I don't think you actually understand what Jesus has done for you. He died for you. He gave you your life back. That should result in a fully surrendered life. A couple points of application, and then we're done. Number one, are you living as a living sacrifice? Have you surrounded your life as a living sacrifice? Let me ask you this. What have you actually surrendered to God? What have you actually sacrificed to God? Have you given anything of your life to him? Your time, your money, your talents, your sexuality, your whatever it happens to be? Let me ask you this. If you've been a Christian for a while, are you still living as a sacrifice or have you just gotten comfortable and presume upon, well, God knows I love him. When you look at your possessions, your possessions, do you view those as being yours? Well, these are mine. I earned them. I deserve them because I'm so awesome. Or have you looked at what God has given you and said, listen, God, what do you want me to do with this? I want to use this for your glory. God, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? In terms of your talents, your career, your skills, are you using those things to build your kingdom, to make your name great, to prepare for what you want in your future? Or have you asked, God, how can I use this to build your kingdom, to make your name great? Would you be willing to walk away from that career, from whatever it is, if that's what God wanted you to do? I think about the young people in this room today. Would you be willing to offer your life as a blank check to God? God, whatever you want with it. In fact, I read about a guy, I read about a guy who took a letterhead, blank letterhead, he signed his name at the bottom and said, God, I'm going to let you fill in the rest of the story. Are you willing to give your life to God like that as a sacrifice? God, whatever you want. Not my will, but your will be done. See, worship is not a song that we sing. Worship is a lifestyle that we live, showing that God is worthy of everything. So maybe the question shouldn't be, what have you sacrificed to God? Maybe the question should be, what are you unwilling to sacrifice to God? What are you unwilling to let go of? Are you essentially saying, God, this is more important to me than you? Because if we actually grasp what Jesus has done, how could we not give everything to him? There's a story by a guy named by a guy the name of, of C.T. Studd. I love the last name, Studd. I wish that was my last name. He was a, he was a professional cricket player. And I, you're, I know you're like, cricket? What's cricket? Well, way back then, cricket, this guy was like the LeBron James of like sports world. This is the early, late 1800s, early 1900s. They didn't have football and basketball and all that, 
the Seahawks weren't a thing yet. So this guy was like the LeBron James of, of professional sports in the late 1800s. He was successful. He was great. And the height of his career, when he's most popular, he's kind of wrestling with this idea of, here I am pursuing cricket. But what of my life is actually having any eternal value? So the height of his career, the height of his success, the height of popularity, all the money on the table, he decided to leave it all and go be a missionary to China, some obscure uh, missionary. And people would ask him, why would you leave all of that behind? Why would you give all of that up to go be a missionary to China? And this is what he said. He said, if Jesus is God, and if he truly died for me, then there's no sacrifice that would be too great for me to make for him. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to know God that deeply. To understand what he's done for me, that I would say there is nothing that would be too great for me to offer to him. You know, there's actually this cool little nugget at the end, of the, the end of our text. You know, many times people come and they're like, Pastor, how do I know the will of God? Like, like, Pastor, I'm trying to figure out which career I should go to, which college do I go to, who should I date, Pastor? Trying to figure out the will of God. But look at this. Paul said in verse 2, he said, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, we talked about the gospel. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, oftentimes when we think about the will of God, we think about the will kind of like a, like a maze, right? If I go left and this happens, if I go right and this happens, God, which one do I do? Which is the right choice to make? And we got all funny ways to figure out and to discern the will of God, right? We're like, God, should I date this guy? And then a Taylor Swift song comes on the radio and we're like, oh, that's a sign. It's love. We're like, we're like, God, can you give me like a magic eight ball so I know what it is you want me to do? Listen, God is less concerned about the next steps of your life, and he's more concerned about the posture of your heart. The will of God is not as much as, it's not as simple as just a, a yes or no decision. The will of God is something that we actually become. It's a way of, of thinking that we adopt and informs how we choose. 99% of the will of God is fulfilled when we learn to worship God above everything else. If we are living our lives as a living sacrifice to him, if we are pursuing him with everything, guess what? Those decisions that come our way, they become natural because we're living for him. And so we, we don't have to go and figure out, I don't know what the will of God is. When we're living for him, man, it's just like the will of God comes out of you because you're, you're walking with him. You're living with him. Many of us, we want the will of God for our own benefit, but we're not willing to live as a living sacrifice. Number one, are you living as a living sacrifice to God? Number two, is your mind being renewed in the gospel? Are you allowing your mind to be saturated with what Jesus has done for you? Or are you allowing your mind to be influenced by the world and its values and its characteristics and its priorities? I mean, it's all around us. Social media, TV, uh, anything we look at, ad campaigns, politics. All these things, they influence and they shape the way that we think. 
They shape the way that we value things. It's not pleasing to God. That's not freedom. That's not peace. Paul says, no, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And again, renewing of our mind, we're not talking about religious rules we have to follow. It's talking about are we a people that are coming back and again and again and again to dive deep into the gospel. See, restoration, we call ourselves a gospel people because we understand that transformation comes not as we follow a bunch of religious rules, but as we allow our hearts to be made new by coming back again and again and again to the depth of the love of God for us displayed through the cross. Real simple, are you allowing your mind to be ready to me to be renewed? Which means when we read our Bible, is the Bible just something that we do to check the list? Hey, I did my Bible reading. Is the Bible something you read for knowledge? Look, I got more knowledge about, or are we allowing ourselves to look at Scripture to say, and this is God pouring out His love for us so we can understand the depth of the love that He has for us. That's what this story is all about. That's what this series is all about. That we'd read the Bible and not see a bunch of rules we gotta follow, but we'd see the one who died for us. Are you allowing your mind to be renewed in the community of God's people? Listen, we need one another to point us back to the gospel, to point us back to, to the grace of God. Because again, we're all those living sacrifices constantly getting up off the altar. We need the people of God to point us back again and again to the gospel. And thirdly, we need to live out the gospel to those around us. When you think about your family, your marriage, your workplace, the way that you operate, are you operating according to the world where everything is earned? If somebody fails, they're a disaster. Or are we actually giving grace to one another? That as we receive the love of God, we extend that love to the people around us. I've gone over on time today. But I tell you what, guys, this is such a powerful thing. And this is a challenge for us that if you're looking and saying, man, it's hard for me to be that sacrifice, the question is, have you understood the depth of the gospel and what God has done for you? I want to give you an opportunity today just to sit and reflect on what Jesus has done for you. He went to the cross. He died in your place. He gave you your life back. Are you willing to give your all to him and respond to him?